Good afternoon, church. We're glad to be in God's house this, this afternoon. Praise God. We're going to be uh, again in the book of Ruth today, Ruth chapter number two. Let's go ahead and pray, and then I'm going to jump into it, uh, uh, jump into the message. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this opportunity. We never, we never, my God, uh, treat casual, my God, the access and the privilege of being in your presence. We know that it was an expensive access, my God. My God, that it is only by your shed blood that we have access into this hope. And my God, right now, in this moment, we enter in that hope. We enter in by your blood right now, Father God. We enter with full assurance of faith, my God. And I pray as we come into your presence, my God, that, that you would speak, Lord. I pray that even though it's my mouth that is moving, my God, I pray may it be your spirit that is speaking. And your word declares, my God, that you sent your word and you healed them. And we thank you for that testimony. May that testimony be a reality today, my God. We pray that, that the word today would not just entertain our intellect and, uh, and, and motivate our hearts, but, my God, may be transformative to our lives. Father God, do something, my God, with your word, my God, that transforms our world, my God. And Father God, we thank you now. We commit these moments to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, we're going to be in Ruth chapter 2, and we'll read through 1 through 9. There was a relative of Naomi's husband, a man of great wealth of the family of Elimelech. His name was Boaz. So Ruth, the Moabitess, said to Naomi, please let me go to the field and glean the heads of grain after him in whose sight I may find favor. And she said to her, go, my daughter. Then she left and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And then she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the family of Elimelech. Now behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, the Lord be with you. And they answered him, the Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his servant who was in charge of the reapers, whose young woman is this? So the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered her and said, it is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. And she said, please let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. So she came and has continued from morning until now, though she has rested a little in the house. Then Boaz said to Ruth, you will listen, my daughter, will you not? Do not go to glean in another field, nor go from here, but stay close to my young woman. Let your eyes be on the field which they reap, and go after them. Have I not commanded the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink from what the young men have drawn. I want to pray. I want to uh, emphasize the first half of verse nine. Let your eyes be on the field which they reap, and go after them. Turn to your neighbor and tell them, "Eyes on the reapers." Eyes on the reapers. 
I want to pick up the conversation where we left off last week. Uh, I don't know if this is part two as much as it's maybe a part B, uh, because uh, I'm, I'm going to be continuing the thought uh, where we left off uh, last week. Um, here again, we see Ruth gleaning in the fields, and we've been talking about this for the last few weeks, what it meant to, be, to glean. They, the landowners left, uh, uh, left the corners of their field unharvested, and, and the, they were instructed, the reapers were also instructed that whenever they would drop some of the, the sheaves or some of the grains or some of the heads as they were harvesting, they were to leave it there for the poor, and then the poor would come and glean after the reapers. And uh, we talked about how the reapers stay to a particular field, but the uh, the reapers stay to a particular field, but the gleaners did not pay any attention to the field they were in. They were not required to pay attention to the field. They they just followed the gleanings. The gleaners followed wherever they went, wherever the gleanings were. They followed the provision, and so they're focused on the provision. They're not focused on the field, and the gleaners went where the gleanings were. That's why the Bible says that Ruth just happened to come in the field of Boaz as she was reaping. She did not even know that she had crossed into Boaz's field. She didn't recognize she had crossed from one field to the next field because she was focused upon the gleanings. And so, but now in verse 9, when Boaz finds Ruth, Boaz tells her, I don't want your eyes focused on the gleanings. I don't want you focused on the gleanings. I want you to follow the reapers. I want you to fix your eyes on the reapers and the field they reap from. Now, notice how Boaz here, he is realigning her vision and focus from the gleanings to the reapers. Tell your neighbor this is significant. Say it with a little bit more strength. This is significant. Because Boaz didn't just shift her focus. Boaz just shifted her story. Ruth does not even realize it, but in that shift of focus, Boaz is actually aligning her to her destiny, aligning her to her purpose, aligning her to her future, because her future was not tied to the gleanings, but her future was tied to the harvest and the reapers and the fields that they reap from. But I realized that if Boaz would, would not have even, if, he, if Boaz had not spoken to her and shifted her focus, she would have followed the gleanings right out of the field. That she, she would have just, she would happen out of Boaz's field just as she happened into Boaz's field chasing the gleanings. Ruth didn't even know who Boaz was at this point. She didn't, even, she didn't know that she was in a significant field she didn't, or a significant place. And, and it, brings me to, it brings to light the attention that we ourselves, some of us don't even recognize what God has brought us into. That, that a little bit like Jacob who the Bible says was running and he came into the place of Bethel and he thought it was just another place and he laid his head down upon the rock. And the Bible says there in the night, God gave him a vision, God gave him a dream. And the Bible says he, he saw the, the heavens open and the angels of a God ascending and descending upon a ladder. He saw the angels of God. He saw the heavens open and God spoke and said, this, he said I am the God of your father's God. God revealed himself and he shows himself and he reveals his promise and Jacob wakes up in the morning with a different perspective of where he was and he said surely this is an awesome place 
and I was not aware of it. Tell your neighbor, he said, this is an awesome place. This is an awesome place. This is not just a pile of rocks. In, the Bi- in fact, the Bible says he took the rocks and made a pile and he poured oil upon it because in this moment he realized that this is just not a pile of rocks. This is not just another place. This is the gate of heaven. And what I'm trying to tell you is that you're not just in another place. You're not just in another season. You're not just in another field. That you are in a significant place. You are at the gate of something. You are at the entryway of something. You're about to come into access of something. You are at the gates. You are not far. You are at the gates. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The pl- and what's funny about this moment is that the place did not change. The, the, the place did not change. Jacob's perspective of the place changed. That sometimes all God has to do to change your world and to change your life is to change your perspective. If God opens up your eyes and gives you a different, it begins to shift your perspective, your world will change. Your circumstance will change. The place where you're in will change. Your engagement of where you are will change when your perspective changes. Say, God, open up my perspective. Come on, say it like a good prayer. God, open up my perspective. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Shift your focus. This is the power of perspective. This is the power of perspective. Because perspective is not just what you see, but how you see it. And how you see it is more important than what you see. That's what God's changed. That's what God changed with Jacob. He changed how he saw it. And, 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 the same, and I say that because I believe that what Boaz was doing for Ruth was more than just changing what he saw. Changing what he saw, but he was changing how she saw. It was not just a visual shift. Speaking of visual, man, there's a reflection coming from one of the cars outside. Um, it was not just a visual shift, but it was a perspective shift. Ruth's focus was on the gleanings. She was pursuing the gleanings. She was pursuing the provision. But Boaz comes and says, I don't want you to pursue the provision. Ruth, I, I want you to stop pursuing stuff. I want you to shift your focus and shift your pursuit from pursuing provision to pursuing people. Don't, and he says to her, he says, don't go after it. Go after them. Tell your neighbor and tell them, go after them. Don't pursue the gleaning, Ruth. Pursue the people. And now, now and I want you to see this because the field did not change, but what Ruth was pursuing in the fields changed. And when what she was pursuing in the fields changed, what she valued in the field changed. Before her value in focus and pursuit was upon the provision, upon the gleanings. But now Boaz says, I want you to shift. Don't, don't pursue, don't focus upon the gleanings. Go after them. Go after the people. And I would suggest to you that, that in that, that small, that small adjustment, in that small refocus, in that small realignment, there, there, there is something huge that's happening because her world is changing right there in that moment. Her focus and values are changing right there in that moment. 
Because how many of you understand that God's plan and purpose in your life is not connected to stuff, but it's connected to people? It's connected to people. That God is not calling you just to do something and to accomplish something great, but he's calling you to be a blessing to someone. That you are here upon this earth to reach people, to impact people, to transform people, to pull people out of the darkness into the light of his love, to, to bring wholeness to someone else's brokenness. Jesus, in his inaugural address, as he entered, as he announced his ministry, he, in Luke chapter 4, verse 18, he says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to look amazing on the poster and to get my, my program on the satellite dish. And No, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. In other words, God said, the reason God has anointed me is not for something, but for someone. That this is about someone. It is about healing someone and setting free someone and reaching someone and unlocking the prisons for someone. God said the anointing is not even about me. It's not for something. It's for someone. And if it's not for someone, there is no reason for God to anoint me. Some of us are praying for God to anoint for God to anoint us just so we can have a feeling, just so we can be on stage. But the anointing is not for the stage. It's not for something. It's not for yourself. It's not so you can stay locked up in your closet and get goosebumps. The anointing is for someone. Jesus said the, the way the anointing expresses itself is when I connect and reach out to someone, that's the time the anointing is seen. That's the time the anointing is released. If it's not for someone, I, there's no reason for me to be anointed. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Tell your neighbor it's for someone. Yeah, it's for someone. It's for someone. It's for someone. He, he will anoint you for someone. He, he, he will empower you for someone. When Jesus called Peter, Jesus said to Peter, you were fishing for fish, but now I'm about to shift your pursuit, Peter. I'm about to shift your pursuit. The story began with you looking for fish and hunting for fish, but now, but now you're not going to fish for fish anymore. Rather, you're going to fish for men. You're going to go fishing for men, and where you once cast your net out looking for fish, I'm going to equip you with a net to catch men. I'm going to equip you for people. You're not living for fish any longer, but now you're living to reach people. Jesus said, come and follow me. Come and follow me, and I will make you a fisher of men, because to follow me is to pursue people. To reach people. Because God did not send me to the earth for something. He sent me to the earth for someone. I'm here because God so loved the world. 
He so loved the world. He was so passionate about the world. He was so hungry for the world. He, he, God so loved the world that he gave his only son. I'm not just here for something. I'm not just here to make noise. I'm not just here for the crowd. I'm here for someone. Hallelujah. It's funny because I remember a season in my life. I was telling the earlier service this. I, was re I remember the season of my life where, where I was going through a particularly dry spiritual season. And, 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 and it got to the point I started praying those David prayers. You know the David prayers. The, those David prayers are all those prayers you skip over as you read the Psalms. And, I, and so I decided to try it to see if I could get God's attention. I, and I said, Lord, why have you forsaken me? Don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Lord, what? And then... And I, and, I, and I thought if I prayed it, I would get God's attention, and, 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 and it did get God's attention. I, I felt the presence of God just flood into the room. But I, I, immediately, I just felt, I just heard in my heart, the Spirit of God rebu rebuke me. And I heard God say, never say that. Never say that to me again. He said, because I want you more than you want me. He said, because you didn't die to be with me. I'm the one who died to be with you. I'm the one who made the sacrifice to be with you. You didn't die to be with me. I died to be with you. I want you more than you want me. This whole story, this whole thing didn't begin with you seeking me. This story began with me seeking you. That's the real story of the gospel. The real story of the gospel is not about man seeking God. The real story of the gospel is about God seeking man. Even in Genesis, that's what you see in Genesis. You don't see man seeking God. It is not the story of man seeking God. It is a story about God seeking man. Even when man sinned, even when man was wrong, it was not man saying, where are you, God? It was God going and walking in the garden in the cool of the day saying, Adam, where are you? And that's from Genesis onward. That's what you see the whole thing, the whole gospel, the whole story is about God seeking man. Man didn't say, let me build a tabernacle so I can be connect with God. It was God who said, build a tabernacle, create a meeting place. I want a place where I can meet with man. I want a place where I can connect to people. Hallelujah. I said that to reveal something that you may, maybe you don't know or you know, that, that God's greatest passion is people. That's what even David said. He said, David didn't understand it. He said, what is man that you're mindful of him? He said, I don't understand how this great and powerful God who created the universe with a very word from his mouth, who created the stars in the heaven, who created the universe. I don't understand that, that, that this huge and humongous God would, would, would take and create this whole universe and put the stars in motion and put the, the planets in motion, all revolving around this creation he made called man. He said, I don't understand it. How is it? How is it that you're mindful of him, that you care for him, that you love him? Why, how is it that you're so passionate about him? Tell, tell your neighbor and say, he's passionate about you. Oh, he's passionate about you. <laughs> My God, he's passionate about you. Hallelujah. God's passion is people. 
In John's Gospel, chapter number 4, Jesus' disciples are out buying food. And while Jesus is waiting for them to bring the food, he's waiting by the well of Samaria. And there he encounters a Samaritan woman there by the, by the well of Samaria. And there, while Jesus is waiting for the next 20 verses, Jesus unties the cords of her around her heart. He begins breaking her chains, destroying her yokes, healing her brokenness, satisfying her thirst, all while he's waiting at the well. What are you doing while you're waiting? I love that. He said, he said, he said this is what I'm doing. He said he was just waiting for food. He said, while I'm waiting, let, 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 me, let me break someone's yoke. While I'm waiting, let me heal somebody's burden. While I'm waiting. This is how you, you people talk, I'm just waiting on the Lord. Well, while you wait upon the Lord, you should be reaching out to someone. You should be healing someone. You, he said he was waiting. This is what I do while I wait. I don't want to waste one moment. While I'm waiting, I'm going to break somebody's yoke. While I'm waiting, I'm going to remove somebody's burden. And then, just as he was finishing, the Bible says the disciples came with bringing food to him. And the Bible says he comes there with the, they come there with the food, but Jesus tells them, he responds and says, I have food to eat, which you, have no, which you don't know anything about. And they're wondering, what type of food must he be talking about? And he said, this is my food right here. What you saw me doing, that's my food. That's, that's my passion right there. That's, what, that's the food I hunger for. That's what satisfies me. That's what fulfills me. This is what I hunger for. This thing that you, he, what, you, what you just saw me do with that person, that's what I hunger for. That's what I'm passionate about. That's what satisfies me. That's what fulfills me. And then he tells them, and he tells them, look, for the harvest is plentiful. The harvest is plentiful. But the, but the, but the workers are few. The reapers are few. He said, he said, pray for the Lord of the harvest to send workers into his field. And what's remarkable about this is that he's speaking to his own disciples. It's an indictment. He said, the harvest is plenty. The issue is not with the harvest. He said, the harvest, look, is plentiful for the workers. And... I, I, always wonder, I, I, I almost wonder what the disciples were thinking when Jesus said this. Because, you see, we know that there's not anything too hard for God. We, we, we know that, that nothing's hard for God. And, and God, the God who, who, who breathed the universe into me, there's nothing too hard for God. But if, if, if there had to be something, if we had to, had to choose one thing, that might be difficult for God. It might be to find people who are passionate about the same thing he was passionate about. To value what he values and prioritize what he prioritizes. If you ever want to get the attention of God, just start getting passionate about what he is passionate about. Start pursuing what, start pursuing what God is pursuing. In Acts 3, God comes to Cornelius, who is a Roman centurion. He's not even a person of covenant, but he was known for caring for the poor. And, and God comes to Cornelius 
who is not even, he's not even praying. He's just doing. He's not even praying. He's just doing what he does. And, and God says, Cornelius, your gifts in alms to the poor have come up. It came, it came up. It didn't stay where it was. It came up as a memorial offering before me. In other words, God said, Cornelius, you, got, you just got my attention. You just got my attention. It not, not, you, you, you got my attention when I saw you reaching out to lift others up. You got my attention. And he says, so send men to Joppa and bring back a, na a man named Peter. And then he tells Peter, Peter, I want you to go and reach out to a man, Cornelius, to a man named Cornelius who's reaching out to others. So he, can, he said, I want you to go reach someone who is reaching someone so he can be empowered to reach someone with a greater level of power and effectiveness and impact that he calls us to reach. Tell your neighbor, tell them it's about someone. And it was, it was, it's always been a strange thing to me how the Bible says that, that, that Peter, he's, he's been waiting and trying to fish all night. And the Bible says he caught nothing. And the Bible says that, you know, you know the story. He, Jesus comes and he uses his boat and he speaks from his boat. And, and then when he's done, the Bible says, he said, tells to Peter, he said, let down your nets for the catch. And he said, we didn't, well, we've been doing this all night. We didn't catch anything, but we'll do it at your word. And they let down the nets. And the Bible says their nets became full. I mean, when I say full, I mean the Bible says the nets begin to break. And somehow they got the fish into the boat, but the boat didn't have enough room. So they called their friends over and said, listen, we need help. And they started to fill, to fill their boats. And their boats were so full that their boats began to sink. Tell your neighbor that's a catch. That is from nothing <laughs> to everybody around, all, everybody around you, their boats are full, starting to sink. You're struggling to bring in the fish. This was a catch of a lifetime. This was, if, if, if you were a fisherman, this is the thing that you only dreamt about. This was, this was the lottery. You hit the lottery. I mean, th 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 this, this was the catch of a lifetime. But I always wondered why he would give them the catch and then tell them to leave it and to follow him. To me, it's anticlimactic. I thought they were going to start the company or, or sell the fish and fund the ministry. That, that's good, right? That, that would have been a good idea right there. He, 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 I said, why, 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 why did you go through the whole thing of giving them the catch and then telling them to walk away from the catch? If, you're, if, you're, if, you, didn't, if you didn't want them to have the catch in the first place, you should have just called them and said, said Peter, come on, leave, leave, this, leave this unsuccessful business behind and come and follow me. <laughs> but could it be it is because Jesus understood the trap of lack the trap of lack and how lack has a way of consuming our attention and our focus and we begin to interpret everything through even the call of God in our lives we will interpret it through the lens of lack and we'll tell people that we're pursuing our calling, 
But in reality, what we're really pursuing is our lack. We do this in church, if you're honest. You know, we, 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 you know, if I start talking about the call of God and how he has chosen you and he's made you the head and not the tail and above and not beneath, you're not thinking about ministry. You're thinking about your needs. You, I said calling. You hear that God is going to pay my bills and he's going to make things right and he's going to. Come on. Don't look at me with those holy eyes of yours. Most of the time... When we preach and we talk about the blessing of God or we talk about the call of God or we talk about the purpose of God, it gets rerouted in your map, the map of your mind, to that need. But I wonder that the reason that Jesus gave Peter the catch of fish, the reason Peter, uh, that Jesus gave Peter the catch of fish was actually to shift his focus in pursuit off from the fish. He gave him the catch of fish to shift his focus and pursuit from the fish. Because lack has a way of driving your pursuit, driving your purpose, driving your faith. That, this is the whole conversation. This is what the conversation was about in Luke chapter 12, verses 22. When, and we talked a little bit about last week when Jesus uh, said, don't worry about your life. Tell your neighbor and say, don't worry about your life. Don't worry about your life. He, sa he, said, he said to them in, in verse 22, he said, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. Verse, verse 24, consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have nor storeroom or barn. Yet God feeds them. How much more valuable you are than the birds. Verse number 29 and 30. And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. That's good news. For the pagan, the world, runs after all such things. And your father knows that you need them. I, I want to stop right there. And see, th th that's the thing for most of us. We're pursuing these things. It's not necessarily because we're greedy. It's not because we are materialistic as such. But rather for most of us, these are legitimate needs. It's not greed, it's need. In fact, God said, you have, Jesus said, God knows you have need of it. You have need of it. He said, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not denying that you have need of it. You have need of it. These are needs in your life that you have need of. I'm not trying to delegitimize the fact that you have a, have a need in your life. God said, I, he said, I know it. I know that you have need, the, the, the need. Tell your neighbor, he said, he knows. He knows that you have a need. It's, you're not wrong to have the need. You're not wrong to have the need. But the problem is that in those moments when we are facing these needs, the needs begin to skew and misalign our priorities. 
and the needs start to become the object of our pursuit. And what Jesus is saying here is that if we are not careful, the pursuit, the pursuit of our needs will drive us away from purpose. Drive us away from our values. Drive us away from the kingdom. And I, I, and, and, and I know this is so much probably more deeper than how I'm preaching it right now that the way that lack and your needs have a way of just really perverting our values and, and, and skewing and misaligning how we see one another and how we see our world and how we see our own lives. Jesus said this is the danger of lack, the danger of your needs. It's not having the needs, but what we allow those needs to do in our hearts. And don't think that the person sitting next to you doesn't have a need. D don't let their clothes fool you or their car they drive fool you. So, so sometimes we, we, we make certain assumptions about the person sitting next to us because they're, they're, they're maybe a little bit better off than we are. We assume that they don't have needs, but we all have needs at different levels. So we all have needs at different levels. In fact, when you get more money, it, it, many times it, you just, it just means that you have more responsibilities and your vision increases and your, your desire increases and your appetite increases. And, and so, so therefore, you're sort of faced with the same need that you were before, just at a different level. <laughs> it's, it's true. It, it's funny how you can be doing better than the person next to you but still have the same level. Uh, 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 space of needs just at a different level. We all have needs. That's why the enemy wants you to focus on your lack. He will, he will use the lack and your worry about it to control your desires and pursuits. That's what Pharaoh did with Israel. When Moses brought them the, the word of the Lord... In Egypt, Pharaoh told the taskmasters and says, take away their straw. Take away their resources. I want you to see this very carefully. He said, take away their straw. Take away their resources so that they will not pay attention. The very words he used. So they will not pay attention. Pharaoh said, this is how I'm going to own their attention. This is how I'm going to hold their focus hostage. Through a need. And Pharaoh has them running around the land of Egypt, has them running around scavenging and hunting and looking for straw. But what I want you to see is how far their pursuit of their needs was taking them from the purposes of God. It's quiet in the house today. <laughs> but how far that pursuit of their, that, that straw, the pursuit of their needs was taking them from the purpose of God. But what they didn't know is that while Pharaoh had them hunting for the straw, is that they were not going to need the straw for where God was taking them. And see, sometimes what you have to realize is that when God allows the enemy to take something away from your life, the only reason God allowed him to take it away is because God knew that you were not going to need the thing for where God was going to take you. Because where God was going to take them was so far, so far away from the straw. They were not going to need the straw. God says, I'm taking you to a land flowing with milk and honey. 
but you're praying to me about straw. You're talking to me about straw, but the reason I'm silent about the straw is because you're not going to need the straw for where I'm taking you next. I'm tired of talking to you about the straw. I want to I want to talk about I want to talk about something that's higher. I want to talk to you about my purpose in your life. I want to talk to you about where I'm taking your life. But Pharaoh knew if he could just keep them pursuing and hunting the straw, the pursuit of the straw was going to blind them from purpose. If I can just, he said, if I can just keep them focused on the straw, I can control them. But if I lose their focus, if they ever break free from the cycle of pursuing straw, once they stop pursuing straw and begin to pursue purpose, if their focus shifts from the straw, I will lose my grip on their life. If their focus ever shifts and if their heads ever lift, if their eyes ever lift up their heads from where they are and from the straw they're pursuing, God says there's, Pharaoh said there's nothing, there's no chain I have that can keep them. My God, if I had time, I would tell you even what he said to Moses. He says, don't you see how numerous the people are? Don't you see how strong they are? And you're distracting them from the straw. Because if their eyes ever get off the straw, they would realize how anointed they are and how strong they are and how powerful they are and how blessed they are. But he said, you're taking, them, you're taking their attention off the straw and giving it hope. And I know if their, their eyes ever look up from the straw and begin to grasp the hope that God is calling them for, I don't have a tool. I don't have a device. I don't have a chain. I don't have a yoke that can keep them where they're. Tell, him, tell your neighbor, say, this is the perspective shift. Whew. Because the enemy wants you chasing straw until you die. But the devil is a liar. That is, God did not call you to chase straw all your life. God did not call you to chase provision all your life. God did not call you to, ch to chase a straw. God has called you for something bigger. He's called you to touch lives. He's called you to heal people. He's here. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. If it hadn't been for Boaz realigning her focus, she would, could have, she would have kept following the gleanings. And she would have been stuck in a cycle of gleanings. Have you ever thought about that? She would have just kept gleaning. In her life, we start to get trapped in the cycle of gleaning. That, that, that's, and that's where some of our life is. We, we, we just get trapped chasing the straw. Trapped in a cycle of chasing gleanings. Have you, ever, have you ever noticed that life will never leave you short of something to worry about? Life will never leave you short of, of, of a need, that you, that, a, a straw that he wants you to pursue because he, the life wants to keep you in a cycle of pursuing, pursuing the straw and pursuing the gleanings. And this is, and this is the, 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 the thing that Boaz broke. He broke the cycle when he, when he lifted up her perspective, when he gave her a different perspective, when he gave her a different focus, when he gave her a different pursuit, he broke the cycle of gleaning in her life. Tell your neighbor and tell them he wants to break, he wants to break the cycle. My God, he wants to break the cycle, people of God. He wants to break the cycle. Don't worry about the knees. Don't worry about the gleanies. Don't worry about the straw. He wants to break the cycle. Don't chase after stuff. Chase after people. 
I'm shifting your pursuit, Ruth. I'm shifting what you run after. I'm shifting what you value. And when Ruth's focus shifted, her destiny shifted. And what God laid upon my heart to tell you is that this is your perspective shift. This is your realignment of perspective. You know, every so often, a car, especially here in Ethiopia, because all, the, all, the, all those holes in the earth that we, our, our cars hit, every so often, you need to go to the tire shop and get a realignment. Because, because the, 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 the focus of the car has shifted, it's, and it's pulling you off course, and it's pulling you out of, out of your purpose, and it's pulling, out, pulling you out of your future. So you have to go get a realignment, and God told me to tell you, somebody in this place, this is your realignment. This is your realignment. Your realignment from what the hustle has misaligned. Can, can, I, can I give you the perspective shift? You ready? Okay, here it comes. Here it comes. Here it comes. Tell you never it's coming. The app is loading. Here it comes. <laughs> God says, God says in verse number 30, 30, he says, for the pagan world runs after. They this is what the pagans run after. This is what the pagans pursue. He says, but seek his kingdom. But seek thee first the kingdom of God. Seek first Seek first. Seek first. Seek first. In other words, this is about priorities. This is about the priority of your pursuit. This is about the priority of your focus. This is about the priority of your vision. Seek thee first the kingdom of God. And we already talked about the king, what the kingdom is. We already talked about what's in the king's heart. It's people. I already told you where the heart of the king is. He says, seek thee first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all of these things will be added to you. This is what is burning in my heart. God says, I know you have needs. But I want you to stop pursuing the needs. I, 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 want, I, I want there to be a shift of pursuit. I don't, want you to, I don't want you to pursue the needs. I want you to pursue the kingdom. I want you to pursue people. And when you begin to pursue my heart, when you begin to prioritize what I prioritize, when your passion starts to become my passion, and when, when your pursuit becomes my pursuit, God says all of these things the thing you were pursuing is going to begin to pursue you. The things that you need, I know you need it, but I want the needs to pursue you. I don't want you to pursue the needs. You're not wrong for having the needs. You're wrong for pursuing the needs. He said, pursue my kingdom, pursue my heart, pursue what I prioritize, and these things. Isn't that the same thing that Boaz was saying to Ruth? He was saying the same thing to Ruth. He said, don't chase the gleanings. Stop chasing the provision. He says, chase the reapers. Chase the peoples. And the Bible says that he told the reapers, when you see Ruth following after you, when you see Ruth pursuing you, I want you to drop provision in her path. I want you to drop things on purpose in her path. 
God said, as she pursues the reapers, the provision is going to pursue her. She was pursuing the provision, but God flipped it around, flipped the pursuit around. So now the thing that she was pursuing is now pursuing. God, the blessing is tied to your pursuit, tied to your perspective. Are you hearing what I'm saying to you? You've chased the straw long enough. This is your perspective shift. This is your shift of perspective. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I understand the pressure. The, that's the whole point. He uses the pressure of the needs to sway your heart. But God said... Boaz said to Ruth, he said, that's why he, and, and I said this before, and, but I begin more, I begin to realize it more and more. He said, will you listen to me? In other words, will you trust me? Will you trust me? Because I have the best at heart. That's what God, Jesus is saying. He said, he, he's trying to convince them, God has you. He cares for you. He cares for you more than you care for yourself. He said, if he dressed the ravens, he dressed the flowers, if he dressed the grass, how much more will he not care for you? Jesus is like, I don't know how to, much, what to say to convince you to, to trust him and that he cares for you and has your needs. Ruth, if you listen to me, if you trust me, I want you to shift your pursuit. I believe that God wants to change our world right now. He wants to change your world by opening your eyes and giving you a different perspective. Because the enemy wants your world to be about the straw. But God says, lift up your eyes from where you are. Because there's so much, there, I have something so much bigger and so much greater for you. Let's stand on our feet. The Bible says in Malachi, say, trust me in this and see if I will not open up the windows of heaven. The windows of heaven. The windows of heaven. Windows are about perspective. It's so you can see through it. He said, I'll open up the windows of heaven. I'll open up heaven's perspective. And as those windows open up, he said, I'll put through that perspective, through that window, I'll pour so much blessing. I'll pour so much blessing. You won't have room enough to receive it. The blessing is tied to your perspective. Will you look out that window? Will you look out that window? Will you trust that window? Will you listen, my daughter? Will you listen, my son? I've got you. That's what Peter, that's what Jesus wanted Peter to know through the fish. He said, I've got you. 
you can stop pursuing the fish. Because if you follow me, the fish will pursue you. Trust me. Trust me, Peter. Trust me. You pursue people. <laughs> Jesus. You pursue people. The fish will pursue you. Put the fish behind you. Put people in front of you. Heavenly Father, we thank you today, my God, for realigning our hearts, realigning our perspective, realigning our vision, realigning our pursuit. My God, we, we, we choose to trust you right now, my God. Do not worry about your life. Do not worry about your life. Do not worry about your life. Don't allow worry to drive your life. Don't allow worry to drive your pursuit. Trust me, Ruth. We thank you today, Jesus. We thank you. Father God, we thank you. And even as believers, we, we got to be reminded that you care for us, that you're passionate about us, that you love us. May we go and leave this place with that security of knowing today. We thank you now in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. We'll see you next week.